This episode of Solar Stories is produced by Mouth Media Network and presented by Solar. Coming into this industry, you're already being told everything that's wrong with you. You have to lose weight. You need to cut your hair. You need to grow this out. You're anything. They're telling you They're telling you what to do. So you automatically, are, that notion in, in general over there is already making you lose value in yourself if you, have, if you come with having none. Most of these people come from damaged homes. They didn't come from, as I said, I blessed with great parents, great morals, great supporters, great father figures, amazing women in my life. I thought people didn't come from that. So that's uh, that plays a huge part. So you're already going into that with people telling you everything that's wrong with you only sets the bar even lower on yourself. So I think that just plays a huge factor in in, in that alone. If you know anything about Roger Connor, you'd think supermodel who's expanding into acting. And with more than a quarter million Instagram followers, you would think influencer as well. You might not guess he grew up riding bulls and had a pet pig, or that he studied to be an EMT and had a promising athletic career ahead of him, only to be cut short by an injury just when things were finally getting good. Most of all, you may not know how deep, thoughtful, and driven a human being Broderick is. Coming up, join our intimate conversation recorded only a few miles outside of Austin, Texas during South by Southwest. We sat near a lake, campfire style. If you listen closely, you may even hear the coyotes howling in the background. I'm George Manley, and you can find Broderick on his Instagram and Twitter handles at Broderick Hunter and his story on this episode of Solar Stories, the art and business of influence. Gentlemen, George, welcome to Solar Stories. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. We've got uh, Mr. Broderick Hunter with us tonight at South by Southwest. We've got Mr. Christopher Holland filling in for Jesus Christ. (laughs) We are here to uh, celebrate again, thankfully, the community of solar that's growing. Yeah, yeah. And Broderick, I've been wanting to get you on the mic to talk to you for, well, since the day I met you back oh. in 1962. That's a shame. <laughs> That's his favorite decade. <laughs> you know, back in the 60s, that was the good old days. <laughs> well, as we said, Solar Stories is a discussion about the art and business of influence. Okay. So I want to get right into it. I want to know more. And I already know, and I want our our audience to know more about you, Broderick, where you've come from, where you hope to go, and uh, how you think you're going to get there. Mm. Um, and I specifically want to get into some of the other subjects we talked about earlier. So right, right. why don't we dive right in? I'll give you the mic. I want you to tell me what you think the world needs to know about Broderick Hunter for a few minutes. And I'll cut you off only if it's boring. <laughs> only, I mean, too. But we know it won't be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'll make sure I keep this as dry as possible because I don't feel like talking. I'm messing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny. Like, I'm in the state right now where, you know, I've been in the career of, of fashion for, you know, going on about seven years now. 
I branched into acting a few years ago and it's gotten to the point in my career where I'm kind of like, okay, what do, what do I want people to know? Cause they kind of have an idea about me. Just like, I feel like everybody as they are around the world and meet, meeting different people and seeing different faces. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm in a state right now where I'm, I'm willing to open up. Cause as I said, like I've, I had a lot of experience growing in this industry and being a part of, of a business that was, you know, not very kind to me at first, but, you know, growing past that and working past that has kind of put more layers on my skin and, and allowed me to have more knowledge in terms of what I can do for myself and how that can ricochet into others' lives, you know, to keep it on a, you know, on an even playing scale. So, I mean, I'm just, at this point in my career, I'm really just, I'm kind of just in a state of being open right now and peeling off old skin and starting fresh and starting new. What are you, what are you mostly looking to be open about? I mean, where, where are you? Um, I mean, that, that's such a, a broad question because I don't, I don't really push myself to be open. You know, I'm an honest person. I'm I'm straightforward. I don't water down anything, especially when it comes down to my experiences. But I don't necessarily try to shove my experiences or information down people's throats. It kind of just flows from there. Well, well, take us. Can you can you start from the beginning? I mean, I don't think a lot of people know your story. And okay. Uh, yeah. Damn, I okay. mean, where'd you, where'd, where'd you grow up? You know, where'd you go to school? What'd you okay. want to do? All right. Let's, Why are you weird? Let's, let's get this, <laughs> let's get this ball rolling. So, um, I grew up in a two parent household. Uh, my mother's maiden name is Uzo Denma. She's uh, half Nigerian. My father grew up in Detroit. Uh, both had two completely different ways of loving me and ways of showing that as well. Uh, Can you explain that? Well, uh, my mother, she she was definitely treated me more so. Like, obviously, I'm her I'm her only son. I have a, I have a sister, eighteen months apart. But she more so treated me in a way where she felt love was always the answer. You know, my dad would say, "You're being too soft when you got to be hard with him." So the way my dad loved me was kind of continuously knocking me down so I can get better. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really learn to understand that until I was older. So throughout my years of, you know, being in uh, from middle school to high school, I was a basketball player. And, you know, say I come off a bad game, the way my mom would you know, try to encourage me to completely, be completely different than my dad. My mom would be like, oh, you know, it's a part of the system. It's part of growing. And I, my dad would be like, that ain't how you do it. You got to be better. You, you can't be having games like that. But it would cause me to get both sides of, of, of love, even though it would come off differently. I still knew it was coming from a positive place where they both wanted me to be better. Mm -hmm. But I can understand how one side could be uh, – a little less productive than the other because, you know, as a father, you're supposed to, as a young, as a, as a black father, especially raising a young black male in your household, the way you love and the way you encourage your, your seed is completely different than how 
of a woman would, mm-hmm. even a black mm-hmm. woman. So mm-hmm. that was just my experience. So growing up and going into like high school and stuff like that, I I had black friends, but I didn't really identify with the black crowd as heavy. So I was looked at kind of like as a loser to a lot of my black friends, but I wasn't necessarily because I was playing. I was still playing basketball, mm-hmm. so I was I was always very fluid. I got along with the gothics. I got along with the the nerds. I got along with the jocks, the you know the sports players. Then I also got along with people who just kind of were just fluid. So, uh, being in high school, I was never necessarily popular. I was just existing. I was kind of just chilled. So, so you didn't you didn't have super deep friendships. I, it's all. funny I didn't either not until college. Actually, yeah, it not took a while. And and I'm kind of grateful for that because back then I was always wondering, like, damn, how could why was I not cool? Why was I not the popular kid? But a lot of those people peaked out, peaked in high school. That's that's where they maxed out. And I was like, I look at them now, and I'm like, dang, you really ain't changed. I mean, that's cool back then, but mm-hmm. I was kind of happy to be not necessarily popular. Because I didn't even figure out myself until I really got into the industry. Yeah, so you that's know? funny. You think you think you're actually figured yourself out already? Something <laughs> uh, I got a better understanding of myself. Yeah, that's good. Nobody. It's a long journey. It's a long journey, man. I mean, and it's you know you think you t- you turn 21, oh man, I'm ready for the world. You turn 25, oh I'm really ready. Then you turn, <laughs> I'm 28, and I'm like shit. I'm still kind of. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I got this thing this thing called life figured out yet. So. I think I'm going to step into the grave and go, oh, oh, die, <laughs> damn it, right? So, um, yeah, is I would say it's just my my life going forward from being a young age into my career now, it's all consisted of lessons and things that have really just molded me more so into being who I am today. And the mindset I have today, even when I'm in my career, because there are certain lessons that I have learned that I learned way back then that I apply now on a from a mental state when I used to play ball, uh, you know, even when I was in school, you know, just studying being an EMT. It was just really it's just, it's just it was really kind of challenging to kind of like find ways to get better and, and be a better person, especially in my career now. So I heard some good nuggets in there. So you were. You were an athlete all through. Did you play ball in college? I've had a brief college career. So okay. that's a part, another part of the story. So uh, out of high school, we were a very top recruited team. We had a lot of guys with D1 potential. And you grew up in Houston area? Yes, that's Houston, Texas. Yep. That was where I was born and raised. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you say it like there was another Houston I was supposed to know about? Uh, because you know, because I wasn't confused. Uh, uh, it was Houston, Ohio. <laughs> I mean, because you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't know, you know, Texas the way yeah. I know Texas. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because you know, we used to hop on bulls and, and, and play. you would ride bulls. Yeah, man, I had a pet pig and everything, bro. Are you serious? Heck yeah, man. Do you know Next. this? Next, <laughs> real story. So the real story is, as I said, I grew up in Rancho Cucamonga in the suburbs. Um, we had a, a, I went to Etiwanda High School, and we had a very, very highly recruited basketball team. And we were all very much promised to go to a, a prestigious schools, especially D, especially Division One. So once I had finally, well, let me back let me backtrack a little bit. I was pigeonholed in high school during my. I had a lot more potential than I than I was able to highlight because of the fact that our coach was very much like 
strict and very hard on us and he didn't let us really really play the way we wanted to play so a lot of our talent including myself I got overshadowed so when I was trying to get recruited I was getting recruited by schools that I did not want to be a part of or go to because I knew I could do better I knew I deserved I knew I had division one capabilities athleticism I basketball IQ all that I could not show that so um, majority of the scholarships that I got or that were offered to me early on, I had declined them just because of the fact that I felt like I could do better. And they were to schools that I didn't even want to be in, like in, you know, in North Carolina and stuff like right. that. I wanted to go to Florida. So I ended up, uh, you want to go to the university of Florida, university of central Florida. I just want to go to oh, Florida yeah. schools. UCF, UCF was a team. great, 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 uh, team back then. And they also still are, you know, they're still doing very good. <clears throat> and back then myself and Marcus Jordan, uh, were Michael Jordan's son were recruited and getting that circuit. So it would just been a really good look to get there. And eventually I did get into the circuit of being in University of Central Florida, but I got hurt during camp that I went to out there to get re-recruited. So I got other recruits look at me, but I finally got the one that I wanted. Got hurt, ended my career. It was your knee, right? Knee, broke my leg. And then I uh, had to go back to junior college, which was a huge disappointment to myself because I was like, dang, I just – Worked all this way, just come, coming right back down. So, year of trying to find myself, depression, uh, loss of faith. Clinical depression? Or just <laughs> you didn't feel good? Just, I you just, didn't take anything was Did you ever get diagnosed? No, I didn't really get diagnosed. I was more so, I knew that I was in a state of mind that I have never felt a low of in my life. That was where I really recognized that, dang, this is what the down feels like because because i used to be happy i was like i was a different person after that happened um i just stopped i went to the went really i remember the day i went to the gym one day i shot three free throws i shoot three free three 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 free throws before i leave the gym one two three i switched both of them the last one i made something in my body just shut down and i was like i don't want to do this no more I'm just done. You didn't even want to play ball anymore. Didn't even want to. Didn't even want to touch it. So I was like, maybe I'm in a funk. Maybe I'm just like, okay, well, I'll pick it up where I left off tomorrow. I went back to the gym. Something in my body was just like, this is not it. So, which used to be four hour practices turned into three and a half hours. Then a week went by, turned into two hours. Then a month went by and turned into one hour being in the gym. Then another month went by and turned into thirty minutes. Then until one day, I literally walked into the gym, just walked out. And this is this is coming from me being involved, loving, passionate about basketball all my life. So to feel yourself not even have a passion for something anymore, like you can only imagine what that does because you you don't have a purpose. I feel like right. I have a purpose. So uh, that was when I got. I was after I got hurt. Then a year junior college, which was even more brutal because I was going through the motions of playing for this junior college team just because I just, you know, I needed something to do and I needed to go to school. So when I was in, during my process in junior college is when I got recruited into modeling. And then, uh, how'd you get recruited? I was on Facebook one day and this photographer, Tyron Red, major shout out to Tyron Red, wouldn't be riding without him. Um, he said, yo, man, you have a really good look. You should try to do some photo shoots. I was like, mm, nah, that ain't me. 
Then he was like, no, man, you really have a good look. So I was like, mm, I'll think about it. He hit me up two weeks later again and said, bro. Was he an agent? No, he was just a photographer. He just shot like a, a lot of great people. So he was just pushing you to do what he thought you would He saw something in me that I didn't see for myself. You would myself. do well at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just saw something just in me. Just out of trying to make you better. Yeah. And I'm, mind you, this he was not my friend on Facebook at that time. You know, the social media was a lot different back then. You couldn't even really message somebody unless you were like acquainted with them in a way. And I don't even know how he got my got my information, where he saw me or whatever, but he got in contact with me and he said, yo, this is what I see in you. So eventually I took the photo shoot with him and I had did the shoot and the pictures came out and they ended up doing really well. Mind you, this is around the, this is the, the time when they did well. How do you, how do you, uh, they, it? they, but like you, on, you found on an Facebook? agent, you found somebody to distribute the photos. No, the, when I said they did well, they went on Facebook and blogs and stuff started like talking about it. And it started getting like just moving traction, not really in a viral in a sense, but they just really moved across the internet well. So a lot of people were, you know, befriending me on Facebook and stuff, you know, just because of the fact that, you know, I was kind of this new made possible sensation in a sense so once that happened i was like okay i think i got something here just like okay something is this is this is something cool okay so uh i did another shoot with him and they did relatively just as well so then i was like okay i like this i want to start going with this my, i didn't tell my parents at all by the way my parents still think I'm playing basketball at this point. Do they still think that? Yes. <laughs> they, my mom just asked me, oh, how's your tournament in, in Houston? Or, no, mom, I'm in Austin, Texas, and we're doing training camp right now for SWX, <laughs> South by Southwest, <laughs> you know, training camp. <laughs> so anyway, um, we um, uh, – so once the photos started doing well, I still didn't tell my parents. My parents found out. My mom, especially, she knows you, though. She found out because one of her friends had sent her a photo that was on my Facebook or whatever. And she was like, oh. Talking about you, how handsome so, your son is. She was like, what? It's like, Wait, who took these pictures of you? I was like, oh, wow, those were for fun, da, da, da. Nah, he's... These are good. These are great. Da, da, da. I'm like, yo, that's uh, thank you. Da, da, da. I'm like, she, she's like, are you gonna tell your dad? And mind you, I told you how my dad was. You know, he's extremely hard ass. So I was like, I can't walk up to this six five Negro and tell him, <laughs> hey dad, I'm done playing basketball. I'm gonna start doing photo shoots now. <laughs> so I didn't tell my dad, and my dad felt really left out for a very large portion of my career, and he didn't want to support me because I left him out. So one day, I had got my first magazine cover. And I had brought it home to them. I, this is a magazine that was in Ralph's. It was on fitness. I think they're still around. But I was on the cover. And uh, I brought it home. They were all, they were both my parents. My, my mom and my dad were sitting watching TV. And I brought it home. I was like, hey, guys. I smacked it on the, um, <laughs> just like, like, like kind of like badass. Table, like, yeah. like, look what I did. <laughs> so I smacked it on the coffee table. They both looked at it like. <laughs> not even not leaned even, right back and started watching even, the show again not one not, single, not one single reaction and my girlfriend at the time was with me and i was like what's what's like why aren't y'all y'all ain't y'all you see y'all ain't never you know being a kid back then i was like y'all ain't never proud of me y'all man, man forget y'all like that's why i'm gonna blow up do my own thing and they're like it's not that we ain't proud of you it's the fact that you left us out of your journey. How do you expect for us to eat eat with you at a table that you didn't invite us to? I shut up after that. <laughs> Why 
wise words. I'll never, I'll, never, good parents. I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget that lesson. You did not, you did not, how can we eat at a table? You did not invite us to sit at. So I was like, mm, shit, I did not. They were right. I did not tell them about what I was doing and everything. So uh, after that, I kept them in the loop of everything. And you still have to this day, right? Still to this day. They know everything. I think I forgot to text her that I was coming to Texas. <laughs> but she's like, where are you at? I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in Austin. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> I'm so, around the corner. I'm, I'm, and, uh, I'm, yet I'm, I'm still including you in everything. I, right. I'm, 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 like, as brand manager of the year, uh, Christopher Holland would say, I'm right around the corner, even though he ain't left the house yet. <laughs> well, that's a good moment to take a break for a second because when we get back, I would like uh, – Mr. Christopher Holland to participate in our conversation, take that scarf off his mouth. And, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and I, I also would love to talk or hear from both of you about how you guys got connected and how you started working together. And then we can get into some of your, uh, personal sexual preferences. <laughs> we all know the way Chris rolls. I'm going to kick you. <laughs> If you're enjoying this story, you can find more great solar stories at solar.com or on Instagram at solar.hq. I want to hear how the two of you met. So where we left off, Broderick was just beginning to blow up in his career and obviously, there's a lot of steps in between that where you had a lot of success and continue to. But at some point, you decided you need you needed agency, right? Yeah. You needed uh, – well, you probably have many agents, but <clears throat> you have a modeling agent. You have an acting agent. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have uh, Christopher if, managing – If that's what you call him. He really doesn't <laughs> do shit. But we appreciate him. He's like that special – kid in the classroom that you just acknowledge when he's there so he doesn't feel left out and then you know just he's a good space filler he does his part when he needs to you know but um you know, uh you know representation wise is always very important i feel in anybody's career especially if you're in the entertainment industry um starting from not really being accepted because i was dark skin and not necessarily marketable quoting from what agents had told me when I first began, uh, it was definitely harder than to find representation. So once I did, you know, I really like pushed and worked hard to keep that. So, uh, your agents are really only going to do so much for you and you need people who are actually going to have your back. And them damn coyotes. <laughs> you hear the coyotes. You hear the coyotes the and the coyotes in the background going crazy. <laughs> uh, you need people who are actually going to really love and support you and see your vision, and that's really going to propel your, propel your boat forward. And uh, that's when uh, Christopher Duck Holland, you know, came into, um, you know, kind of came into play. I had met Chris at my agency's party, uh, and he didn't really. He had an idea of who I was. I had no idea who he was he was more so just a friend you know somebody i just thought you know it's cool vibes and stuff like that mm -hmm. um i was very early in my stages of becoming a supermodel i guess you could say because i was in my in the ralph lawrence circuit mm -hmm. along with other campaigns and my name was getting out there in a, in a major way 
And uh, Chris uh, was, you know, he was just in the circuit of like, you know, being around guys who are also doing great, great modeling work. So once me and him had met, it was, it was just a click of like real genuine love. You know what I'm saying? Just real cool shit. So as I was living in New York, I ran into him again on the street. And then he invited me to come do hot yoga. I was like, God, this guy is weird as fuck. Who the hell, <laughs> who the hell invites me to come do hot yoga? <laughs> I you sweat your ass off and it was a good time. Bored, bored ass motherfucker. I was like, so fucking, people want to sweat. I guess. I mean, this must be the New York way. I was like living in New York for like maybe like a year at that point. So I was like, this must be the way these weird ass New Yorkers do it. So I came up, I, I, I linked up with Chris and... We sweat our asses off in hot yoga, and then we just became real dope brothers, man. You know, Chris has been, like, one of the best guys I've ever met. Just mad good brotherly love. And um, a few years ago, he had started his brand management agency, Doug Holland. And he was already representing a few people. And I wasn't even looking for a manager back then because my original manager had passed away of cancer when I was uh, – Three years in my into my career, Michael Maddox was a, played a huge role uh, in getting me signed to the agencies that I'm even with now. And he was a guy that believed in another guy that believed in me, similar to Tyron Red, that that uh, didn't that did that just really played a part in making me what I am today. So uh, when I met Chris. I had no really aspirations of trying to find management or, or even somebody that like really like say i need you to help me i was just kind of like oh dude that's dope man you know let's see if we can build some synergy and get some stuff going and sure enough uh we just started working and it's been clicking and he's and he's just one of those guys that really goes up the bat for his people and it's a rarity so you know i think thank god for chris he's all right sometimes and how do you feel about mr broderick all that but what i will say is remember i keep the lights on this motherfucker anyway, i will i will i, I will stop paying this next, light bill next, today next. so the fraternal like synergy that we have that was pretty much instant when we first met when we first met i wasn't working in entertainment i was just like hanging out at a party because as he said like i just knew people who were like my friends and like they were in entertainment even though i was not and um then I met Broderick and like I kind of got like the direction that he was trying to go into with like life and career. In a sense, I knew his brand and I was familiar with his brand from the day we met. And then when I started working in entertainment, particularly with brand management, I was working with other people, but I knew Broderick from before and he was like, dude, like, you know me. So you can help promote the direction because you know me. Like, you know what I do, what I don't do. Like, you get me. And I was like, it's true. If anybody gets you, I definitely do. Like, I know for a fact that you ain't shit. And I can help her <laughs> promote you being authentic on the fact. And you continuing your process of, like, who you are, representing who you really are. And not trying to please other people. It's right. not, you don't take feedback externally. You like start from the inside out. 
And so I can totally help you promote that because that's how I roll. So, so, so you knew that you could help him expand on who he is as a person and how he represents himself just, just through being a good promoter of people. Exactly. But we were in tune from the start. So it wasn't to me about like more than anything, what it was about for me is helping him continue to maximize his exposure on who he really is because that's what he represents. Makes perfect sense. So it wasn't like, it's not a sell. It's just, yep, I'm reconfirming what you see, who you meet, who you're interacting with, or through social media. That's what exists in real life. That's meet him in person, life. it's the same thing. And actually, it's that way all the time. <laughs> Pretty much. He's consistent. consistent. I'm very consistent. Ain't shit. <laughs> All right, let's take let's take one more break on that. I'm thinking deeply about it. Uh-huh. Um, when we come back, I would like to hear from you, Broderick, about some of the challenges you've had in the industry, um, and some of the things that probably compare to a lot of what's going on right now in the Me Too movement. Right. Okay. Right. So, how does it? Have you ever witnessed any of the stuff that he told us today at uh, when we were having barbecue lunch? I don't think he was there. Any? Oh, that's right, he wasn't. He wasn't there. The conversations. He's we were. Well, we were talking about Harvey Weinstein, right? I mean, mm-hmm. isn't that what came up? And then I said, I basically said to Broderick, I was like, "Have you ever had to experience anything like that, where you've gone in for an audition or a modeling gig, and you know, you've been asked to basically do something you don't want to do to get the job?" Mm-hmm. And he said. Hell yeah. Many Uh times. Well, I'll let you take it. He's told me about like situations like that. Um, But I never saw, I was never there. Um, But I have gone to like fittings where he was cast for like a show or something. And he's like, we walked in and this was for fashion week. We walked in the room and he was the only black model. And everyone stopped. You could hear a pin drop. He walked in the room and it was almost like black baby Jesus walked into the room. <laughs> and like, and then the designers and the creative directors were like, they they were very nice and cordial, but they objectified him like right. physically. Right. And I, you know, and I saw it and I was like, Mm. but I've also been with him in other situations just regularly and just like it could be the grocery store and I've seen the way people respond to him like an object not as a just an object and I'm like damn that must be difficult to have to contend with that like daily like hi like I'm not I'm not a commodity. I'm not gold. I'm not like an object. I'm like, I'm human. Like something's going on inside here. You know what I'm saying? Not just what you can see physically. So anyway, I've seen that. And when he's told me about his situations, you know, like dealing with, you know, the industry and people and whatever. And I was like, I can believe it. Well, let me ask you, I mean, 
Can you tell us a story? Ah, man, shit. I don't even know. Where's the Rolodex? (laughs) The Rolodex is so steep. I mean, honestly, they all kind of, they've all kind of been very similar. Uh, I mean, I mean, one, one in particular that I was talking about, like, you know, one time is, you know, just my early stages in my career were all starting fashion and you're trying to really make a good impression on anybody you meet. And it's not necessarily because you're trying to get in a door or you're trying to, you know, level up or do something. It's more so just because you just want, you got one shot as a black boy in this business. You got one shot to make it and one shot to fuck up. And a lot of things that happened like in my early career that didn't happen for me, I guess you could say, were because I wouldn't do the shit that a lot of these other designers and people they were seeing were are used to doing. You're back then. You don't have an Instagram. You don't have a uh, an online presence. You're just known for the work that you do, and that's one reason I'm able to do what I'm doing now because I came before the social media stuff took over, where you don't have to work as hard. So back then, you're walking in to see designers, and when you're in the rooms with these designers or the ones to these castings, most of the time, back as I saw this is all back then, it wasn't it didn't matter if you came in first, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, whatever. You could be the first one in the door and the last one, last person they see, just because of the fact that they would come in and pick, hand pick out who they wanted to see, who stood out in the room. Fuck a list. Who's because that's what modeling is. You give a presence. Right. So the presence has to come out. So right. um in my career when I was in Milan I would I wasn't one I wasn't a name yet. I wasn't necessarily I was signed. I was I was under a major agency who also had very limited black boys, so they represented the top black boys. And I went out to see a very, very, very notable designer. And I went to the casting, it was packed out. It's like thirty people there, forty. And I was like, she's just gonna take a while. But the designers are coming in, just grabbing people and stuff. So, and they the, every time the casting director had came out, the cast director is the person that pulls you into the room to come see the designers, the stylists, the people, the main people who are in charge. The casting director that that's what they do. That so the casting director is like mm, sifting through, sifting through you, 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 you. And all these people were not me, so it was like frustrating. I was like shit. So I called my agent and I said, hey, I don't think that. This is I'm, they want to see me because I have been here for like 30, 45 minutes and I have not been picked yet. They're like, oh, let me call and see what's going on. Da, da, da. And I uh, got off the phone with him. Why not text him that? And then he hits me right back and says, oh, no, they see you. They want to see you. They're just clearing out the space first, They're like getting everybody else out. I'm like, OK, cool. So I wait like 20 minutes and the guy finally comes and says, oh, you're Broderick. I like, yes, come on in. So I come in meet the designers and the other people who are running the shows and uh, the campaign at that time. And they really liked me. I tried on the clothes. They liked how I looked and everything great. It's like, oh, wonderful. Please stay. The head designer wants to see you. I was like, okay, cool. That's a good sign. Guy comes in. He's like, oh, no, Italian, double kiss chick. Yeah, all that crap. It's like, nice to meet you. You were striking. Love your book. Can you walk for me? Can you do these photographs? Great. Um, 
photographs, meaning like, you know, just Polaroid, see how you look in the clothes. Sure. So, all, all regular protocol stuff. He wants to meet me for dinner, but he constructed it in a way where it's going to be a team dinner, meeting the, the designers and everybody who's involved because to, it's a corporate that runs these major designers. So I agree to go to the dinner and he says, okay, so meet me here at this X hour. Da, da, da. So it was a reasonable hour, like 730. I meet, we'll meet up with him and it was just me and him. You know, just talking, vibing for a second. And then I feel something on, like, my seat. And this man took off his shoe and started trying to play with my dick with his foot under the table. I was like, this can't be happening. Mind you, I'm like 21 at this point. It's like, this can't be happening. So I was like, oh, sheesh, okay. So I shift, like, my body kind of over. So where it's like, okay, he's just going to try to get to my like my thigh or whatever but as a young un um unseasoned and really just a man that does not have a name for himself there's not that there's there's not really a way that you can actually like tell this man to like hey yo go fuck yourself you kind of just got to finesse your way out of it and be like okay like i'm just going to have to remove myself from the situation so i turn my body like you know it's like just to kind of like not make a scene don't want to piss anybody off can easily just like it's a way there's a way out of this without fucking up <laughs> this whole you know all this shit because at that point in time you know which you not only what you don't do someone else will but you piss off the right person they will screw your shit up. And mind you, I'm just getting started. So the way to combat with this would not be to lash out and to not punch this guy, you know, across the table, not cause a scene. Just simply work my way out of it to 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 basically insinuate that I'm not down for this and this is not what I do. So I get up, go to the bathroom, and I text my agent and said, hey, yo, this is, the situation is getting a little weird. Told him what was happening. So he's like, oh, my God, babe, I'm sorry. But, you know, that designer, he kind of just does that kind of stuff. As if it was like, yeah. okay. I'm like, uh, like, I'm, mind you, I'm, I'm a young. What kind of agency uh, is that? I'm a, I'm a young cat. You know what I'm saying? I'm a, I'm a young guy. I don't, this, is, this isn't my protocol. I'm just here to try to make money, make a name for myself. I'm not out here trying to do all this stuff so basically he's like you know just he, that's just what they do you know it's 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 a it's a it's a messy industry but i had prior knowledge to that going in like you know understanding how the industry is you just never think it happened to you so uh the i go back to sit down and you know the designers you know obviously still all hot and bothered and stuff like that so i tell him i was like oh you know this has been a very cool dinner you know but i'm I got an early call time tomorrow. And he's like, oh, your agent said you don't have anything booked tomorrow. I was like, oh, no, I have a, a like a, sh a photo show. I'm doing a test. Oh, can't you just reschedule it? Trying to like really like work make it. me stay and work yeah. it. And he's like, you should just come come to my house. You know, we have a lot of drinks there, a lot of stuff there. He's really, really trying it. And I said, sir, out of all due respect, um, I, I'd rather just go home. So... Let's have a Q&A a little bit or a little question. Do you think I got that job for that campaign? 
My guess would be no. Exactly. Because I didn't do what I was expected to do. As, as Chris saying, kind of being object, objectified and looked at as a piece of meat. So you can't do that. I, I, one, I've never done that kind of stuff in my career. But it's to each his own. I know people who have. I ain't not mad. You get your money, I get mine. But I, that's the kind of stuff that off the ball. One of the, one of the many stories that I have where uh, that kind of stuff has happened to me where it's hindered me from from getting a job and finding work and really uh, flourishing in my career to the fullest, I guess you can say. And uh, I always take that into consideration when I am in a space where I, I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to elevate. I also got put in perspective that I'm not out here doing anything and everything for everybody for every opportunity. So that's a major that's that's played a major factor in my career to how much it's grown just because of the fact that my slate is pretty it's clean and i ain't done anything you know oh man it's crazy i there's one thing i don't understand about that hmm. why haven't you asked me to remove my foot from between your legs <laughs> why, haven't, <laughs> why haven't you asked me? on that note <laughs> Why haven't you asked me to remove my foot between your legs? <laughs> and you know, it's so funny because, you know, being young back then, like just being at that age, I I know a lot of guys who who wouldn't know how to handle themselves, uh, you know, accordingly in that type of situation. But you also got into perspective. I'm a young black boy in a foreign country. You know? And that's always a factor in, in a career. Anytime a black man reacts a certain way or does anything that's out like threatening or out of normal, it's not they're not asking too many questions. <laughs> they're not really looking at it in a certain way. So I had to but take you have so much confidence in in your own value system. Mm-hmm. It was obvious you knew the right thing to do for yourself and what you wanted to do. And the hardest part about it though was I'm sure like how is this going to turn my career around or what am I going to, what am I going to do next if I blow this guy off and make him absolutely upset with me? Right. Totally. And then obviously the headline wouldn't be a designer gets in pumble and restaurant with young model. Right. No, it'll be aspiring model. Broderick Hunter uh, is, uh, uh, does hate crime overseas. You know what I'm right. saying? Something, it's something stupid. stupid like that. And obviously, listening to the story, there was nothing I was doing that was in the wrong. I was only I was I was going to a casting. Right, exactly. I was, and going you were to told do, there would be a group dinner and all of the above, all kinds of stuff. So, but my thing I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is that kind of stuff happens so often, and so it's so common that it's even today. It's like you know, with the Me Too movement, it's not even like really foreign it is this just is what it is that's the industry that's what you sign up for and i just feel like knowing that i have not done those types of things and have not had to feed into those types of things just only helps me sleep better at night and gives me further validation on my career because there's a lot of sellouts out there that you know feel like they need to do that some some people might need to. No, as I said, it's uh, which what's on your table does not take away from what's on mine. 
How you eat does not make me shit. So I, I've always just, the, the advice I would always give to other people is to know yourself and be honest with yourself and just go from there. Obviously, you've got amazing parents and you were brought up really well. So um, there's not a lot of questions in my mind about why you make good decisions and situations like that but why do you think that there are so many uh models in particular Mm -hmm. that have such a hard time in life meaning like drug addiction uh anorexia whatever you call it or 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 feeling like they have to sacrifice their values for a job and commit to something like that like Mm -hmm. why do you think that's is it the objectification thing that christopher was talking about i wouldn't say it's that it's more so uh, coming into this industry, you're already being told everything that's wrong with you. You have to lose weight. You need to cut your hair. You need to grow this out. You're anything. They're telling you. They're telling you what to do. So you automatically are, that notion in, in general over there is already making you lose value in yourself. If you have, if you come with having none, most of these people come from damaged homes. They weren't right. They weren't. Right. They they didn't come from. As I said, I, I blessed with great parents. Great morals, great supporters, great father figures, went amazing women in my life. I thought people didn't come from that, so that's uh, that plays a huge part. So you're already going into that with people telling you everything that's wrong with you only sets the bar even lower on yourself. So I think that just plays a huge factor in 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 that alone. Um, and another part of it is the fact that they do feel down and they do feel like this deep darkness that's been embedded to them and chasing this career where your next check is off of somebody else's validation only makes you feel like something's wrong with you. So you're going to turn to drugs, cigarettes, you know, the nightlife shit. You're going to do all that because you're trying to fill the empty void. That's, that's not going to be filled with love and, and commitment and, and, and power. It's going to fill that shit with other, other substances. And, that's that's my theory. I can't relate to a lot of that just because of the fact I don't come from it. <sighs> what a tough lifestyle for so many of those people. It's really bad for them. I know it is. Industry. I mean, and it's bred by the industry, but it's uh, it seems like a breeding ground for people that you know are obviously beautiful on the outside, but, but they also have a hard pray. time on the inside. They also prey on the weak, though. Mm-hmm. They prey on the weak. That's why the industry is what it is. It's a, it's all a mind game, a mind fuck to make you feel this type of way so you feel like you need to sleep with the agents or you need to, you know, hook up with this person or be with this person. It's taught for you to do that because that's what keeps the system running. Drug, sex, and money driven. It's not driven off anything else but, um, you know, but things that are basically invalidated for you. So, I don't know. There's a, I mean, this I can go on that list on on that topic for a long time. But for the basis of it, that's what's what it's, it's bred on. That's that's the best of <laughs> that's just the field it's played on. You can't even change it, right? Yeah. Right. You don't feel like there's any way to change the industry. Do you feel like the entertainment industry in general has changed at all for me too, or any of the stuff that it's still stuff happening? Because guess what? There's still people that need a job and need a check. There's still people that are going to need validation and do whatever it takes to get it. There's still people coming from damaged homes. 
So that's just, you can't undo over a hundred years of something that's consistently going. And then all of a sudden expect just because a few documentaries have come out to, up ah, to industry's changed. Everything's back. It's clean now. It's, everything's clean. So you don't think there was anything that came from the Me Too movement or you feel like it's, this, it's a it, little bit of a needle turn? Awareness. It definitely brought yeah. awareness and it made people okay, make it, made it okay to speak out. One story that really resonates well with me is Terry Crews. Right? He was talking about his experiences and people saying, well, you're a big guy. Why don't you fight him? As a black man, you don't have a lot of opportunities. Right. You can't, you, you can't do certain things. You can't get away with certain things. And when Terry was talking about that, I was like, dang, man, like, that's so true because that's how I felt. I was like, shit, like, yeah, could, could, I, could I knock this motherfucker out right here, right now? And, and yeah, totally. But there's also another route where I can actually have a promising career ahead and something that, you know, especially being that far along and getting closer, you don't want to mess that kind of stuff up. So I feel like the Me Too movement has really gave people a way to open up and express their experiences truthfully without getting the backlash of losing opportunity and call, you know, you can call out the, these Hollywood directors now and they'll, you know, their agencies of PR would drop them back then. You couldn't. So I think it's definitely caused great awareness. The thing that I find so impressive about what you just said is that in all the challenges that that industry brings to the table, you've managed to stay true to yourself, right? And you've managed to kind of be hardcore about the fact that you're not willing to sacrifice your values. And right. yet, you've still had a successful career. Right. And continue to. Right. So the the light in that story is that there is a uh, there is a path to a successful career if you stick to your guns and you're a good person. And I, I, I mean, I think that's motivating for the, the beautiful man or the beautiful young woman out there who would like to be a model, but doesn't want to have to. Yeah. That's the fear. Cause you know, these stories and it's exposed now, you know, thanks to the internet, a lot of things are, you're, you're able to have access to a lot more information back then, you know, there was only like Facebook. I had to ask questions being out about modeling. You can literally, there's people out there now where you can DM them or podcasts or you know different stories you could read up on these experiences but back then you didn't have that so i i think i think where where it comes to people's awareness is definitely moving in a great direction um and i feel like it's definitely a time for change it seems to me like you know a lot of what people ask or a lot of what people want to know about the people that are interviewed on this podcast is sort of how did you become popular online and how did you get the social following that you got mm. and what i think is really interesting also about you is that you've never really put a serious focus into your online Not numbers yeah and they've really i mean more than anything that speaks to how organic they are right <laughs> authenticity <laughs> right yeah um, um so i just want to just ask you like how does that re like just say something about how you feel that your influence in general um, has translated into success that in some ways you didn't really plan for? When it comes down to my social, I really majority base that off of being myself 
and always not necessarily giving a fuck about what people think about me and not really being so concerned about how something's going to be received. I'm raw. I'm authentic. How do you meet me or see me online is how you're going to meet me in real life. And I think that just really played a huge role into my online presence because I didn't come up on Instagram. I was already an established model. I had, I, I even did some TV work before Instagram and stuff like that. And then when I, when, uh, social media and stuff came into play was when everything really just started pushing forward in a great way because it was already, it was already naturally, um, naturally being built to that. So I was, I was already kind of like in my rhythm when it came to that. It wasn't, it wasn't an effort that needed to be done. And I'm just like, I think that that's really just what it is. People just see my authenticity and that's why people kind of fucks with me online. <laughs> and that's probably why you have a much bigger Twitter following and, and activity than you do some of your other channels because yeah. you, you more want to have a conversation right. and talk about how pretty you are. Oh yeah. Or show I, off how pretty you are. Cause he ain't pretty. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, but yeah, when it comes down to tw- Twitter and Instagram and stuff, I just, I use my platforms in a different way on different avenues because uh, I want people to get a different experience of me. I don't want them to get the same thing they're going to get on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. I want people to know that there's a lot of different different layers to me. And it's more than just my looks. It's more than just what I how I photograph. I really do have a lot of knowledge. Uh, I have a lot of heart, I have a lot of passion. I I love hard. And you know, I'm just I'm just grateful. So I try to highlight those things on my platforms in different ways and hopefully people recognize that and see that in an authentic way that I'm that's the only effort I try to put is authenticity. No effort, nothing else though. <laughs> well, my man, I appreciate your time today. You are such a stud. My guy and uh and a brother at this point. And um I can't I can't express enough how much I respect you. Oh, bless you. The and, feeling uh, is mutual. <laughs> Cheers, my brother. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. And thank you for being, again, a part of the solar community. And uh, I got to give you a shout out right now because it's 4.38 in the morning. And uh, you're going to go jump on a plane and go do some more work today. Exactly. On a man. Sunday. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, it's going it's to be a Sunday, a long Sunday morning, but we on it. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers, you guys. Thanks for listening. Ciao. That's it for Solar Stories. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back next time for another great guest and another great story on the art and business of influence. I'm George Manley. This is where the story starts. We can't wait to hear yours. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. You can find more about solar at solar.com. Copyright 2019, Solar Inc., all rights reserved. Thank you for listening.